Amen. Judges chapter number eight. And uh, I'm excited. I'm excited. I was it two was it two weeks ago, Coleman? You're like uh that two weeks ago. He's like, um, hey, you wanna you wanna preach you wanna preach Judges chapter eight? I was like, I just preached Judges chapter six. I was like, he's like, Yeah, sure. If you want to. All right, cool, let's do it. And uh, I'm excited because my the title of my message was the the saga of Gideon. And then, you know, Matt took my the second part and I was jealous and I, so I, it's supposed to be Judges chapter 8, but it says Judges chapter 7. So anyways, the finale. We're in Judges chapter 8. And uh, this is the saga of Gideon, the finale. Um, I want to give you kind of a, a, a brief preface of this portion of Gideon. This is what you did not learn in Sunday school. Um, this is, uh, is kind of like the, 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 um, the other side of Gideon, you know, like... Um, we, we all excited about the pots and the fire and the yelling around in Sunday school, you know, because that's a lot of fun um, when you make the crafts and everything. But this, this, is, this is like the real part. This is like the, uh, it's not like the other part's real, but this is like, like the, um, the, hu- the human side, the human side. Um, it's almost like we, we get a really good interaction. We see some really cool spiritual things happen um, with Gideon in six and seven, um, and then we have the rest of Gideon, and what's going to set us set up the rest kind of of the unfolding of the book of Judges, and um, it'll give you kind of a picture of the direction of the actual judges of the types of people they will become into the rest of the book. And how God is going to use that uh, to bring about the next section of of uh, of this book and kind of setting up of of the story of Jesus. Uh, we, we, I mean, I believe that the, the Bible is one giant story that leads to Jesus. And so, this in this portion, we're we're learning uh, this this last part, and uh, and and we're going to get to that. But in order to kind of work into Judges chapter 8, we have to kind of talk about the end of Judges chapter 7, um, but uh, this is going to be, it's going to be a short message, I know, all right, just, I'm just curious, I'm just curious, um, who actually wants to watch the Super Bowl tonight? Like, I'm, I'm just, you do, okay, like a few people, a few people, you know, okay, all right, cool, um, so uh, since not everyone here wants to, well, I, I'll go ahead and take the long version can you add the extra notes? Thank. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, I'm being respectful of your time. Uh, I didn't want either one of those teams to go to the Super Bowl. Or whatever. Go Bucks. Uh, anyways. <laughs> All right. Let's get into this. All right. Um, so, anyways, end of chapter seven. We know what happens in chapter seven. Uh, uh, Matt. Uh, Matt really helped us uh, understand that and 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 give us something really good from that. But. Um, What's well, kind of interesting in the end of chapter 7, so uh, we have this great slaughter. God confuses all the Midianites in their camp to basically kill each other, and um, so they all die. You know, you hear all the screaming and yelling in the middle of the night. You know, what would you do if you heard the fire alarm go off in your house, right? And there's no fire. Can you, has that ever happened to anybody? You know, that happened to us one time. I guess, it's, you know, the fire alarm's never gone off in your, in your house. Anyways, funny story. Uh, we, uh, we lived in an apartment down in Florida and, um, 
uh, and we worked a few, quite a few different, few different jobs. I mean, I think between the two of us, we were both working two jobs. But anyways, we're, we're sleeping, and we get up next morning, and we're getting ready to go to work. And our neighbor, uh, so our apartments were like these, uh, so you had like a little cove, and there's two doors right there. Like you shared a patio with people, and your walls were, you know, pretty, pretty thin. But um, we got up, and we're walking out, and we're getting, getting ready to get in our car, and our neighbor comes out, and they're like, oh, my word. <laughs> Did you guys did you guys hear all the fire alarms going off? And because we we just couldn't sleep, and we're like, mm, yeah, we did. We slept great that night. That was the best sleep we ever had in a long time, and we didn't hear the fire alarms. Just so you know, we're gonna have to have someone. If someone's a light sleeper in here, please let us know so the fire alarms ever go off where we live. You guys get a notification and come save us, okay? Uh, we will not get up. Um, <laughs> Uh, but but the point is is if, if if you ever hear a fire alarm it startles you right um, you're you're uh, when you're at school uh, as a kid and they do those test drills with the fires those are really loud and every time that thing you know goes off that alarm goes off I, even though I know it's coming it really shocks me and and it's 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 it hurts your ears um, you know if you don't like loud noises it can kind of send you send people into chaos essentially is what it can do. That's why I like, eh, everyone line up in one line, walk out the door, blah, blah, blah. Do the kids ever listen? No, they never do. Um, but the point is this. You hear a lot, bunch of loud noises in the middle of the night, you're going to freak out, you're going to jump up, you're going to run around. And God did something miraculous there by, by putting the Midianites into confusion with only 300 men uh, above them who literally had no plan of running down and attacking them. Uh, and if it was any other normal circumstances, the remainder of those people down where, uh, where they were getting confused, if they figured out what was going on, they could have taken out the 300 men because they're trained warriors. That's not what happened. They fled. They left. And so Gideon does something interesting in the end of chapter 7. He calls the rest of Ephraim. He sends out messengers into the tribe of Ephraim and says, hey, come up here, secure the waters in Jordan. Secure the waters. Come up here and, and take over the waters and then basically attack the Midianites as they're running away. So they do. They run out there. They get two of the generals. They get them. They kill them. And they bring the heads to Gideon. Pretty interesting. So <clears throat> this is verse 25 of chapter 7. And they took two princes of the Midianites, Oreb and Zeb, and they slew Oreb upon the rock Oreb and Zeb, they slew at the winepress of Zeb and pursued Midian and brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon on the other side of Jordan. Now, this is where things get interesting because now Gideon, we're about to be introduced to a couple interact, three interactions that Gideon has with the people of Israel. And this first one happens to be Ephraim. Now, if you remember anything about Gideon, Gideon is of the tribe of Manasseh. If you remember, uh, the tribe of Manasseh is, Manasseh is the half-brother of Ephraim, uh, Joseph's two sons, uh, Jacob's out of the tribe of, tribes of Israel. So these are, these, are two, these are two brothers that there's a prophecy that one will be jealous over the other. And so Ephraim, who Gideon called on, kind of late in the game in the battle against Midian to go help them, to be a formidable uh, 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 help in, in attacking Midian, he calls on them to go take, to take care of, help him capture and kill the Midians as they're trying to run away. So <laughs> look at verse 1 of chapter 8. This is really funny. 
Um, <clears throat> this is really, really funny. And the men of Ephraim said unto him, Gideon, Why hast thou served us thus, that thou callest, un, uh, callest us not, when thou wentest to fight with the Midianites? And they did chide with him sharply. So, um, so they looked at Gideon, and they're like, Dude, why didn't you call us the first time? Like, we could have, like, totally wiped them out. Like, you, you called us late in the game, and, like, like come on. Like, why, why, didn't, why didn't you call us? I mean, we're like brothers, right? Why, why aren't we in this thing together? Why did you do that? <clears throat> but he answered, what have I accomplished compared to you? Aren't the gleanings of Ephraim's grapes better than the full grapes, uh, grape harvest of Abizer? God gave Oreb and Zeb, the Midianite leaders, into your hands. What was I able to do compared to you? Is what he's saying here. So he basically looks at him and says, what was I able to do? What, what, what's going on here? He's like, number one, you guys got two generals out of this deal. Number two, whenever you guys have harvest, uh, they're better than ours, way better than ours. So, so what does this look like? What was I able to do compared to you? And look at the end of verse 3 there. Uh, end of verse 3, says, God delivered them in your hands. Verse 3 says, and their anger was abated toward him when he said that. So he had this confrontation, and he, he manages in this moment to stay level-headed, wise, to, to think about who he's talking to. Um, right after this battle, he's like, listen, hey, guys, um, we're on the same team, but you guys, you, guys, uh, you guys did a lot more than I did. But back up just a little bit. If Gideon were to call all the children of Ephraim together, remember what happened when God was helping Gideon pick the people? See, these were people who were already strong. They're, they're, I mean, they, they're, it's, very, like, it's a very petty argument to make at this point, right, in, this, in their discussion. But he makes, he makes a really good point, and he's saving them the headache of what would have happened. He basically looks at them and says, you guys are so upset right now that I didn't call you beforehand. You guys would have been really hurt if I called you when God was picking everybody because he sent everybody home. And I was only left with 300 people. So this wisdom here is kind of a cool interaction that we're seeing here. Gideon is interacting with these people after a victory. And he's like, hey, listen, relax. It's okay. You did more. You're going to continue to help us. So <clears throat> after, after he had basically neutralized that what could have been a really, really bad, uh, um, really bad conflict, we follow Gideon into the next part of this. So <clears throat> if you're writing notes, taking notes, this first part, these first three interactions are called revealing interactions. Revealing interactions. <clears throat> and, and I say that this, that I'm kind of backtracking just a little bit, but really, revealing, whenever you have an interaction with somebody, it's very re uh, revealing of, your, of someone's character, right? Because, you know, the way someone talks to this person here can di different, be different here. Uh, but we need to understand what's going on in the full picture here. We have Gideon who's on a mission from God, and he's being very, he's, well, in this section, he's being wise. He's wise. <clears throat> But let's follow Gideon into the next one. So his first interaction was with Ephraim. They were envious of 
of being called late in the game, but a soft answer turns away wrath. Now he goes on to the next part. Check this out. And Gideon came to Jordan and passed over, he and the 300 men that were with him, uh, faint, yet pursuing them, the Midianites. <clears throat> and he said unto the men of Succoth, Give, I pray you, loaves of bread unto the people that follow me, for they be faint, and I am pursuing after Ziba and Zelmana, uh, kings of Midian. <clears throat> and look at what the princes say. The princes of Succoth said, Are the hands of Zeba and Zalmuna uh, now in your hands, that we should give bread unto you and to thine army? <laughs> what? <laughs> Wait, hold on. Just put yourself in Gideon's shoes for a second. <clears throat> you, you, you just, you're chasing these guys. You got 300 people. Succoth is a part of the part of Israel, <clears throat> and and we just had a victory. I just need some bread. That's all I need. Just get, I, we just need a little bit of food. We'll be on our way. We're chasing these guys down. And uh, they're like, "You got the king's. You got the king's hands. Should we give you bread?" Like. Interesting, interesting interaction. I mean, you would think on the other side, if we're looking at this, that, hey, duh, that would be the obvious answer. Give him some bread so he can go get the enemy. Pause. Think about this for a second. Suck off the next little town over that we're going to read about in just a second <clears throat> um, are in an interesting predicament. They're in the tribe of Gad. And the tribe of Gad is on the other side of Jordan from the rest of the tribes of Israel, <clears throat> which means this. Their tribe borders Midian. So what happens if Gideon and his 300 men don't succeed? And they help them out. What happens if Gideon loses? What do you think is going to happen to the people of Succoth? Not too many good things. Think through it. Think through it with a logical mind. Just think through it. If you were on the other side of Gideon, now <clears throat> look at Gideon's response because this is really funny. Uh, it's not funny, but it's funny. He says this, uh, verse 7, And Gideon said, Therefore, when the Lord hath delivered Ziba and Zelmana into mine hand, then I will tear your flesh with the thorns of the wilderness and with briars. <laughs> He's like, when this happens, I'm coming back to punish you. Interesting fact about this particular declaration by Gideon is that particular punishment was meant for slaves. That was a, a common punishment for slaves. So what he's saying is, because you're not giving me anything, I'm, and I come back, I'm going to give you the punishment of a slave. It's really interesting. <clears throat> really interesting. I just want you to think about that for a second. So he goes on. He passes by. They didn't get any food. He passes by. And look at verse 8. And he went up thence to Penuel. And spake unto them likewise. <clears throat> and the men of Penuel answered him as the men of Succoth had answered him. Whoa, what's wrong with these people? It's like they sent a messenger up ahead of them, like a, like a carrier pigeon. Hey, by the way, Gideon's coming with 300 men. He ain't going to win. Don't give him any bread. You know, that's what it kind of sounds like. <clears throat> and he spake unto the men of Penuel, saying, When I come again in peace... I will break down this tower. Now, this tower, they most likely looked up and said, hey, listen, here's a tower here. We'll be protected. 
we'll be protected if you, if anything happens. But Gideon's like, I'm going to come down and tear it down. Now, I can see the frustration in Gideon. I, I can see this is justified a little bit. I've been called by God. I, I, I did what God asked me to do. We're, we're, we're pushing back the oppressor. We're ridding them out of our land. And what are you saying to me? Man, I'd, I'd, be, I'd be pretty mad too. I'd be pretty mad too. So he goes on. Now, in verse 10, this, this, is where, this is where things get fun. Okay? This is where things get fun. <clears throat> now, now Ziba and Zelmana were in uh, Karkor, and their host with them, about 15,000 men. All right, now that makes sense. Succoth and Penel, Penuel, they're like 15,000 men, 300. I don't think you're going to win, okay? But Gideon has faith. God's been with him this entire time. He's seen it. He was at the altar. I mean, he saw, he saw the, 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 uh, the, the moisture on the ground and the moisture on the bread. I mean, he saw all of this happen. He's like, this is going to happen. This is going to, we're going to win. I'm going to win because God is with me. So he's moving forward. And this is where these guys are, 15,000 men. All that were left of the host of the children of the east. Look at verse 11. <clears throat> and Gideon went up by the way of them that dwelt in tents on the east of Noba and, Go, and Gobana and smote the host, for the host was secure. Verse 12. And when Zeba and Zelmana fled, he pursued after them and took the two kings of Midian, Zeba and Zalmana, and discomforted all the host. And Gideon, the son of Joash, returned from battle before the sun was up. Here's a little picture before we move into the next point. The, these, the enemies, the ed, enemies of Israel had gone up. They thought, okay, 300 men, they're done, we're safe. The word karkor uh, 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 here um, is, is thought to have a, have a, be a derivative of the word rest, of word of being secure. So they found a place up in the mountains because Penuel, the, the town, the path that, uh, that Gideon was following, led up into the mountains, the, which was the exact opposite way that Abraham in Genesis was coming back down from the mountains into the plains of Canaan, into the promised land. <clears throat> so we have this interesting thing. He's pursuing Midian into the mountains where they're safe, finds them, and God delivers another victory. Once again, the Midianites were in a place that they thought they were safe, and God provided another victory. So the kings, they flee. <clears throat> he pursues after them, and Gideon captures them. So we see some interactions we see him follow through. We see God gives him the victory. We see some things. We're just going to walk through this pretty practically. <clears throat> but number two, if you're taking notes, executing judgments. So Gideon comes back. He's like, he's got the kings. Where do you think he's going? Next stop, Penuel and Succoth. So this is what happens. Verse 14. He, gets, he returns from the battle before the sun was up and caught a young man of the men of Succoth 
and inquired of him. <clears throat> and he described unto him the princes of Succoth and the elders thereof, even threescore and seventeen men. This is wild. Okay. So he describes them. This is, this is uh, f- uh, about 47 men here that he describes to them. Sorry, uh, 70, uh, 77 men, excuse me. Doing my math all wrong. Um, I got this coat on. I don't know why I'm wearing this coat. Anyways. Uh, <clears throat> but the point is he describes them, all these names. Gideon wants to find out specifically who, who this is, who these people are, and I'm going to find them, and I'm going to do exactly what I said to him. So he comes back and does exactly that. Look at verse 16, <clears throat> or excuse, verse 15. And he came unto the men of Succoth and said, Behold, Ziba and Zelmanah, with whom ye did abrade me, saying, Are the hands of Ziba and Zelmanah in thine hand, uh, that we should give bread unto thy men that are weary? And he took the elders of the city, and thorns of the wilderness and briars, and with them he taught the men of Succoth. He taught them a lesson. Don't mess with me. Now, Move on to the next part. And then he went to Penuel and beat down the tower of Penuel and slew the men of the city. This is most likely in reference to those very same leaders. We're we're seeing Gideon coming back and working his way back with his, his number one targets. Calling and executing these judgments on these people whom he executed. He said, I've cast a... You, you did not, you did not, you did not, uh, you did not benefit us. So, there's a judgment coming for you. But I have to go accomplish this first. And when he did, he comes back and executes this judgment. Someone said that because of this lack of faith, these particular cities, God was allowing Gideon to judge, starting in the house of the Lord, where judgment should start. And oftentimes, uh, <clears throat> what God asks us to do and wants us to do before we try to make relationships right with those around us, he requires us to make our relationship right with him first. And, and by that, he offers, he gives us the ability to be able to make our relationships right around us. And here is an example of this happening here, rather in a gruesome way. But we're told in 1 Corinthians by Paul that the things that happened to our forefathers are to be an example to us. Now, I'm not saying uh, that um, if, if someone doesn't give you bread to go find some briars and beat them with them, that's not a good idea. You could, you could get sued, okay? Um, <laughs> you're probably not going to have it. But the, the, point is, the point is this. That's not the method. But in this case, what we're seeing is a reflection. We're seeing a point being made. I would, rather, I would rather have faith in what God is doing in someone than to not help them at all. If there's an opportunity that I have as a believer to help anybody, may we do it in Jesus' name. We have this example, whether the person may be good or bad, Jesus commands the believer, if the Roman soldier says, take up my, take up my, my 
and take up my coat or take up my pack and follow and, and walk with me one mile, go another mile. If someone asks of your, of your jacket, give them your cloak as well. Give them your shirt as well. Give them more. See, we, 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 may, we may not see, we may not be so severe like this or have severe consequences or live in a, in a society where we're oppressed to such an extent as the Christians were in the Roman world. But we do, we do have an obligation to live the life of Jesus to those around us who do not understand what it's like to die to ourselves. Because we know someone who has died to themselves, and that was Jesus first. That, that we could be, we could be, and have the righteousness of God himself. And so we have this, we have this picture here of having, of, of Gideon addressing the people who belonged to the family of God first. Then he moves on to the next group. He says to the two kings, Ziba and Zelmanah, what manner of men were they whom you slew at Tabor? And they answered, as you are. So they so were they. Each one resembled the, child, the children of a king. They didn't know who this guy was. They didn't know that he came from the lowest tribe of the lowest family in that tribe. They didn't know that. They just thought, hey, what if we can flatter him? Maybe, maybe, we, can, maybe we can get a little bit leeway here. But look at what Gideon says back. Uh... <laughs> uh He says, he says this, he says, and he said, they were my brethren, even sons of my mother, as the Lord liveth, even, uh, and, and ye had saved them alive, I would not slay you. If you saved them alive, I wouldn't have slayed you, but you did. And these people were really close to me, so he executes judgment. He goes on and he, he, they, he, he says, he wants his son to make the execution of them because of his youth, his son does not do that. And the two kings, they said, hey, you come and you execute us yourself as a man should. And so he does. And in this moment, he takes the ornaments that were on the camel's necks. So judgment was executed, but we get to the last part here. We only have a few minutes and just kind of walking through some of this stuff. I want you guys to see this, the unsettling finale. The unsettling finale. We've, we've, we've seen the accounts, and I, and, I, and I hope that you have seen the humanity of Gideon. We learn of this, the high, high spirituality of Gideon in, in Sunday school, in, six, in chapter 6 and 7. These amazing victories, amazing things. But you and I both know, sometimes when, you, when, you're, when you're out of Sunday school, Things aren't exactly the way we thought they were when we heard them or when we perceived them as kids, right? Events don't go exactly as planned as we thought we, they were, might have been planned as kids. And that's life, right? But that's what's interesting about it. Because just as unfortunate things happen, the reason why those things happen is because of sin in the world around us. Broken sin, broken things, broken people, we come to find out that we are more broken than we might think ourselves to be. 
And we're starting to see that here in the humanity of Gideon. In this unsettling finale, what, we're gonna, what we see here is this, and I'm just going to notate them, notate them and just kind of go through them. We won't, really read, we won't read the scriptures. But this is what happens. The people of Israel come to Gideon and they say, hey, listen, we want you to be our king. Be our king. Rule over us. And Gideon, in this moment, he says, no, I'm not going to rule over you. And they said, well, your kids will rule over us. He said, no, neither me or my sons will rule over you. But the Lord will rule over you. He will be your ruler. Now, in this moment, right after this, he says, he says to them, he goes, uh, but I would desire a request of you, that you give me every man the earrings of his prey, or the rings of his prey, from the spoils. So he asked them, hey, I'm not going to be your ruler, but I want you to give me your rewards. Give me the spoils. Give me the earrings, the rings that you've acquired from your enemies. And they said, we will. Yes, we will. And so they do. They lay them out into a blanket. And he takes them, and he makes an ephod of gold out of them. I don't know if you guys are getting any bells rung here from the Old Testament. But wasn't there somebody else who asked for gold to make something for the people of Israel? The name was Aaron, the priest, the brother of Moses. In this moment, scholars are not 100% sure whether or not this was, this was, a, this was on purpose or if this was just an act of, 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 of what, of, of, um, of Gideon trying to replicate a place where that would be a reminder f- for the people to see that God had delivered them. We're not 100% sure. But what we do see here is that at one point there was a place where Gideon met with God. And it was an altar, and he built an altar, and he called it Jehovah is my peace. He moves forward. These things happen. And what ends up happening here? He takes the gold of the spoils of the prey. He has them make an ephod, which was a vest that the priests would wear when he was performing the ceremonies in the tabernacle during Passover and during the feasts that God had commanded in the, in the, in the law. And in this moment, he's made this, and he takes it home with him. He takes it home, and he lives in his days in peace there, With this idea, I will go to this ephod, which is a representation of what a priest would wear, to consult if, if, and be a reminder if there's ever any confusing times in our lives. Let, let, Let me bring this home, and if I ever need to pray, I'll have this to remind me. I'll go to it. With no intention of hurt, he has this made. We see this a little bit later. He says this, and Gideon made the eph- made an ephod and put it in his city, even Orpha. And all Israel went thither, a whoring after it, which thing became a snare unto Gideon and to his house. 
the question is, what can we learn from this story? Right? What can we learn from this? Right? Because we've learned a lot of cool lessons for the first, the first half of what we know of Gideon, right? But what can we learn of this? In just a couple moments, this is what we can learn. This thing that Gideon made, he brought it home. It doesn't exactly say here, but we do know that it was an object that he made. And the people of Israel began to look at it as the answer. If Gideon had it, he's our leader, then that is what delivers us. And for 40 years, the land had rest. And the moment that Gideon died, the Bible tells us that they turned immediately to Baal, serving gods. And they made Baal, Baal Bareth, the Canaanite god of the god of covenants, as their main god, who is the exact opposite of the god of their covenant. They forgot about Gideon and the goodness that he had done for this, the people. They forgot instantly. Boom. It was, in, it was almost within an instant. That's what the text tells us. They just completely forgot. And they turned. What do we see? Gideon responded and led as the sole authority based on his few interactions with God. After, after God had commissioned him and empowered him to save Israel. But as the victories were given and the success was granted, the altar where God met him was not revisited. With good intention, he made the ephod, but it became the center of worship and for answers in any uncertain time. Instead of a reminder of what God has done and what God had provided, it became the source and the object of their faith. God had revealed himself to Gideon, and Gideon followed God's directions. But Gideon didn't pass on the same events and the same experiences and the same information and the same passion when it came to him the first time to the people. He didn't pass it on to them. Instead of, instead of taking his private altar, and when the victory was won, making an altar for the people to know that it was God, he continued. He forgot about the private altar and continued on with his mission. Irenaeus of Lyons said this, man does not see God by his own powers, but when he pleases, he, God, is seen by men, by whom God wills, and when God wills, and as God wills. God revealed himself to Gideon on purpose. But may I remind us tonight that the, that the complication or maybe the forgetfulness that's far too common to us as it is to Gideon and the people of Israel should not be as common as it is because God has revealed himself to us.
I'm reminded of the conversation Jesus had with the woman at the well in John chapter 4. She had a similar experience. She understood all the things. She knew all the stuff. Uh, uh, they worshiped very, in a very similar fashion as, as, as the Jews did. And what, and what did Jesus do? He walked up and said, hey, I am the one you're looking for. God revealed himself to her. And she placed her faith in him. Changed her life forever. Has not the same thing happened to us? God revealed himself to us. And for most of us, I will say most of us, because I don't know everyone in here, most of us have placed our faith in him because God revealed Jesus to us. Because we know he is God. And we should have a constant reminder of who has delivered us from the struggles, from the stresses, from the disappointments, from our own sin in our everyday life. He has been revealed to us. Matt, you can come up. We have that. Sometimes we just need a reminder. We set reminders every day, don't we? We set reminders to wake up. We set alarms. When we go to the store, men, we have our wives text us what we need to pick up. We have our checklists to get things done. I have my notes on my phone, I have my notes at my desk, I have, my, I, I, have, I have all sorts of things to remind me to do the things that I need to get done. I got email notifications from all sorts of people and things trying to remind me and to get my attention. Have you looked at your email inbox lately? All those uh, free resources or uh, coupons you might have signed up for, but now your inbox is at 9,000 <laughs> in the month of February. A lot of people vouching for our attention. God, God has called us just like he's called Gideon. We do have an altar in our lives. We do have a place that we call Jehovah Shalom but we have forgotten. Sometimes it takes five minutes. I wrap it up right here. St. Ignatius, early church father, developed what's called the examine over four centuries ago. And he believed that in Colossians 3.23 that all the work that we do can be a spiritual discipline. When you work with the intention of glorifying God, all your activities are important. So he wrote down five questions, five things to do every day. This is what he called practicing the examine. First thing we do is we turn, we tune into God's presence. Maybe saying, God, be with me as I reflect on my day. We review our day. What gave me joy today? What troubled me today? We notice our emotions, what made me feel most strongly. We discern, God, what are you asking me to notice? Number five, look ahead. What guidance do you have for me? Simple reminder, a simple 
step by step just just to just to allow ourselves to to be present with God Gideon might have failed and we can talk about all of the failures and we will talk about all the failures of the humans in the Bible in the book of Judges because we are human too and that's what makes this book so relatable but that's what also makes Jesus so relatable because he was human too and he rose again with the power to save us from ourselves and he did so what have we forgotten tonight let us be reminded let us be reminded with this God, I don't want to turn anything, any of my work into an idol. God, I don't want any of my actions or any of my activities to become an idol. But God, help me to tune into your presence as I am here. You're with me, I know. We know this. He's always with us. Help us, make us more aware of you and your word. Let's do that tonight. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. Thank you for this time. Lord, we ask your blessing upon this. Lord, there's some...